Welcome to the Sales Prospectus Show, supported by Lease A Sales, repping Inc. 5000 company, helping our clients grow sales by securing guaranteed appointments, qualified leads, and guaranteed contracts for their services and products across the U.S. I'm your host, Gil Pagan. You can also find us at leaseasalesrep.com and on all major social media channels. I have the pleasure of interviewing today and having discussion today with Chris Jones. He is the the president of Sunbelt Business Advisors that is located in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. He's been buying and selling companies, helping people to do that for the last 20 years. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Yo, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to a great discussion on buying and selling businesses and how to do that. I know that uh, we, we spoke before and uh, I'm curious by nature and have a lot of questions and clearly you're full of a lot of knowledge and you're a database that can answer these questions for our, our listeners. Uh, tell us about what you're doing uh, there and uh, at Sunbelt and uh, you know, how you're putting stuff together for people and getting sure. businesses bought and sold and take it away. Yeah. We, we help buyers and sellers at the end of the day. Most of the people we deal with, Gil, have entrepreneurial DNA. Hmm. So a typical client that we would help be somebody who, you know, built a business, started it 20 years ago, maybe a husband and wife team, father, son team, but maybe now they've grown it to 20 employees, 30 employees, 50 employees. They built a lot of value and they're looking to exit. Hmm. But maybe that son or daughter doesn't have the money to take over or maybe a bunch of partners own it, right? And they all want to retire. Our job is to help them find um, the right buyer for that business, right? Help them find the right person to uh, take over their legacy and uh, often give them a pretty significant wealth event for that business. So I've, I've been doing that for 20 years with Sunbelt. We're the world's largest seller of companies. We're the largest here in Minnesota and um, a lot of small and mid-sized businesses. You know, anywhere from you know, half a million in revenue, sometimes even less, all the way up to about 100 million in revenue. And then the big investment banker folks take care of the stuff that's bigger than that. We're all privately closely held companies for the most part. Wow. And you're, um, you're doing that in Minnesota. And if I'm not, if I memory serves me right, you're also like doing stuff in Wisconsin or, um, yeah. Illinois. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Memory's right. So, so Sunbelt's actually a franchise mm -hmm. and we have the franchise rights for all of Minnesota, all of Wisconsin, mm -hmm. uh, the city of Chicago and also Las Vegas. And then we have affiliate offices, other Sunbelt offices across the country. And um, there's 200 offices now across 11 countries. Mm -hmm. So Sunbelt has the, it's been around since 1978, helping people buy and sell companies. We've been here in the Twin Cities since 2001 now, I think, Two, mm -hmm. 2000. Yeah. Gotcha. So. And, um, you know, can you share a little bit about, I guess, the benefits of buying a business versus growing it? on your own, right? Sure. Pros and cons. And I got my viewpoints on that issue. Obviously, I'm, I, I built mine from the yep. you know, basement of my house into what we have today. Um, yeah. So, but there's benefits to growing it on your own and, and obviously buying one. So give us some insight into that. Yeah. So we kind of break, it's a great question. We kind of break our business down into two segments, Main Street, uh, which is typically under 5 million in, sale, in, in revenue. And most of those, frankly, are under 2 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And um, many of those companies are purchased by high net worth individuals who might, might be buying their first business, 
and they don't necessarily want to go do a startup. You know, they've accumulated some wealth. They might be a C-level leader at a company or a VP of, say, a, a, a good size manufacturing concern, but they've always wanted to have their own company. Mm-hmm. And rather than start it from scratch, they want to take something over and use their experience of running a larger organization to take that acquisition to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that they're able to do that and have instant customers, instant revenue, instant suppliers, brand, all those things that make a company valuable. If I may interject here, Chris, I apologize. I may, I may interject every once in a while. Um, yeah, sure. Some more value out of you. Um, that So somebody like that um, is going to end up spending more money, right? Yeah. I, I'm assuming when you get to the next part of the discussion uh, versus you building it from scratch um, yeah. and, and going up. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, some, a founder of a business is, this may or may not have been your experience, but it's the experience of a lot of founders, you know, they're going to burn some capital in those first couple of years. They're going to take more risk. It's more speculative. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to draw um, a different type of entrepreneur, a bigger risk taker, right? Uh, yeah, so, you know, we know each other, right? Yeah, right. The bigger risk taker, um, you know, so there's different appetites for risk. Uh, and, and we, we tend to have a sell side client who is that type of person mm-hmm. that they were a founder. They built it from the first employee up to the many employees it has. Now the acquirer often tends to be somebody either who owns another company, sometimes could be one company buying another, but often again, that high net worth individual, or what we sometimes call, and we mean this this isn't derogatory in any way, but we call them corporate refugees, right? Uh-huh. They, they get out of corporate America, but maybe they've been making, you know, pretty good living. So th- they want to make money right away. And, and they're not, they're not afraid to take on an SBA loan or a commercial loan, you know, uh, to, to make that acquisition and take on some debt to do it. Right. Wow. Leverage their own capital and then maybe bring in an SBA loan as well. Wow. No, no, that's great. Um, thanks for explaining that. So when we talk about, um, the, uh, the, the buying of the businesses, right? Whether you're going to build it or you're going to buy it. Um, yeah. Clearly, you know, they both involve some capital and starting it on your own and not buying one is yep. going to obviously be, you can try to control your, uh, your spend, your cash flow, your, your burn uh, versus yeah. I'll be spending the money on the front end to buy something. So right. talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the financing aspects of, of, of businesses, um, one, and two, that the businesses that are being sold, um, the, the perception that many of those businesses are in distress, because many are being sold because yeah. they want to get out because something's going on. So financing, yeah. how do people finance this? Uh, and, um, and also our businesses that are being sold typically in distress from a percentage perspective. Yeah, it, it is interesting that that's the perception. Um, and we forget about that sometimes as business brokers or M&A advisors, but at least for our firm, we stay away from distressed companies. That's not our, um, we don't specialize in that. Mm-hmm. If uh, a client comes to us, they typically have a very healthy company that's making money. Um, and the, the business is in good shape, but the person is tired. You know, they wanna retire. They wanna, you know, it's cold up here in Minnesota. You know, they want to get down to Florida um, or you're in a warmer state. You know, they want to get to a warmer state like yours. They've had enough Minnesota winters. Uh, they want to find a beach somewhere. 
um, or they're just sick of dealing with employees. They've made enough money, mm -hmm. right? Right. And, and they also probably don't want to grow the business to the next level. So the business buyers ask all the time, if this is such a great business, why do they want to sell it? Well, because they're human beings, you know, they get burnt out or they want to spend time with the grandkids or they want to travel the world um, or hop in the RV and travel the States, whatever it is. Sure. So we personally stay away from distressed businesses. Those can be very compelling investments, but it's a whole different discipline of buying those. You got to be kind of a turnaround artist in my experience, right? Right, right. right. Um, so as far as finance, if I can answer the finance for you. Yeah. The, from a financing standpoint, assuming it is that healthy company, mm -hmm. if it's a main street business that under 5 million in revenue, it's probably going to be an SBA loan. And the buyer will have to put anywhere from 10 to 20% down of their own money. The seller might carry 10%, sometimes a little bit more. And the bank's likely to come in with anywhere from 60 to 80% of those deals. 80% um, is quite common on a 10-year loan. And um, interestingly, right now with all the stuff going on with like COVID and, and stimulus packages, those um, you can get an SBA loan right now and they'll make the first six months payments for you to mitigate some of your risk, uh, you know, if the business has been disrupted at all. Um, as long as it's cash flowing, it has to show it has the cash flow to service the debt and for the buyer to pull out a reasonable amount of money. Mm -hmm. uh, bigger business, I talked about Main Street earlier, but if it's over that $5 million threshold up to 100 million, mm -hmm. we call that lower middle market or M&A. Those businesses are, are probably financed by the buyer's own banking relationships, their own capital, or they're being purchased by a private equity group that has a fund, right? They've already raised the money. They have the capital. They're going to use their own cash in those cases. And those are those are the bigger boys making acquisitions in those cases. And the, uh, when it comes to the um, SBA process, my understanding is that sometimes depending on where you are, what market you're in across the country, it could take months for that, you know, uh, that deal to close. And I've heard sometimes 90 days. Um, I've even heard 120 sometimes to get through an SBA loan. And um, is that your experience basically or no? Well, it's it's all over the board and here's why. Uh, that absolutely happens and I've, I've seen worse. Um, it's because the buyer picked the wrong bank. So there are many banks who are SBA approved or SBA preferred who really don't want to do SBA, who really don't want to finance business acquisitions. Like they're really good at financing real estate or giving lines of credit to existing business owners, but they don't necessarily like to take step out into uh, business acquisitions because they're complicated. They are a little riskier because they're more complex, even though they have the SBA guarantee. So if a buyer picks the wrong bank, it can, easily cost them a deal or drag it out. Um, we have a director of finance for that reason who, who brings in banks that we know are good at business acquisition. So it, it's really picking the right bank. It's also having a broker and a business owner who are realistic about price because no deal will finance for SBA if there's not a business valuation to support it. The buyer is required to get one and pay for one. Mm -hmm. So even if you can get a buyer to accept a high price, right? That might be over market. It's still going to be subject to that business valuation, right? So there has to be a lot of um, kind of, you know, blunt conversations with the seller up front that look, you got to be realistic about the value. We can go get you a good price, 
But if it's pie in the sky, you're going to run up against the reality of financing, right? Especially yeah, it's that. very similar. Yeah, it's very similar to um, real estate. So you're yeah. buying a house, and uh, the house you can only get a loan on the bank of uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the house, and the person wants four hundred k. Where are you going to get the one hundred fifty thousand dollars from? <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's a very similar situation, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the um, the the holding of paper, um, you know, concept of uh, uh, owner is selling a company is a buyer. Um, buyer has some cash uh, yep. to give the owner, but wants the owner to hold paper. Um, and can you explain that in simple terms? You know what that means. Yeah, yeah. And let's. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use an actual price. Okay. For, to frame this, let's assume we have a small business. It does. Um, let's say a couple million in revenue, okay? Um, and the owner's pulling 400,000 in pre-tax profits out of that business. Whether they pay themselves in salary or it pays for a car for them or it's bottom line net income, mm -hmm. it generates 400,000 in earning power in that business, okay? Depending on industry, that business could sell for anywhere from three to five times that number, okay? Three to five times of the profit. Yep, of that four hundred k. Yeah, okay. and that gets called a lot of things: discretionary earnings, cash flow. But basically, it's the earning power of the business that the owner pulls out and puts in their pocket before they pay taxes. Okay, mm -hmm. that buyer could realize if they keep the business operating about the same way. Right. right? So it's got four hundred thousand in what we call that discretionary earnings. Um, so that could sell for one point two million. It could sell for one point six. It might even get, if it's a really attractive business, it might get a five x multiple and sell for two million. Okay, mm -hmm. for today's discussion, let's just say one point five million. Okay, I'm just going to kind of pick a middle of the That's road. That's the purchase number. price. That's the price. Yep. Okay. So what what a buyer should look at on that first is, all right, um, can I afford it? Can I afford it from the amount of down payment I have? But is it is it enough cash flow or discretionary earnings? Is that four hundred thousand enough to service the debt? and pay me a reasonable salary for the time and risk I'm gonna take. Mm -hmm. And there's a little money left over so it's not so tight that um, if I have to buy a new piece of equipment or uh, I have a, a soft quarter and I have to put a little money in, that's not gonna put me on, right? Those three things, service the debt, pay you, have a little bit of cushion in the business, okay? That, they should look at that first. So if they need to make 200 that they need to pull out to support their lifestyle, is that 200 left enough to cover the debt right, that incurred to buy that business? That's the key question. But the way that debt would, in most cases, would look like is that buyer would probably put, let's say, 20% down. They might be able to put less down, but they'd, they'd probably put 300,000 of their own money into that deal, okay? And then they, they would probably ask the seller to carry 150,000, maybe more. It was a bank deal, okay? But let's say this, let's just for easy math, let's say they asked the seller to carry 300,000 as well, okay? So we got 300,000 coming in of this 1.5 million from the buyer. We got 300,000 in uh, promissory note to the seller that they'll get paid over time. We have $900,000 left, that's coming from the bank. Now, if, if somebody listening to this is doing the math, what you'll realize is that the seller in that case is gonna get 80% of their cash at closing because they got, 900,000 of the bank's money, 300,000 of the buyer's money, there's that 1.2. The seller's exposure in that case is 20% of their price. Mm -hmm. 
and that's not uncommon. Um, the, the benefits of that are if you select a strong buyer, you'll get to defer the taxes on that in most cases. Talk to your tax advisor, but in most cases, right. you pick up some interest. I mean, there's a reason these banks do these deals, right? They're making some serious interest on these things. So that would be typical for carrying paper with a seller carrying 20%. That would not be unusual. Okay. So, yeah. So the buyer basically becomes the, the seller becomes basically a bank yep. holding a note, basically IOU with an interest rate or amount paid per month, whatever the negotiation is, and yep. they become a secondary source. Yep. Um, cool. So I'm assuming the SBA becomes the first, what was what it called? First lender? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the way our founder, uh, when I first went through training 20 years ago, the way he explained that is the, the big dog always eats first. Right. And the SBA lender is the big dog. For right. Sure. Gotcha. More, yeah. More skin in the game. I, I, I gotcha. So um, the um, discussion we had uh, regarding um, these um, retirees or these uh, corporate execs who come out yeah. with a lot of money in their 401k and, um, their uh, IRAs, um, yep. rollovers, that they may have a half a million, a million dollars sitting in there that they'd like to use uh, money in your own retirement account, use to buy a business, that there's a mechanism to do that. If there's yep. legal structures, right? I mean, there's doc documents have to be filed and stuff. Can you take us through that process of someone has half a million dollars in their 401k, IRA, and they want to take, 250,000 or half a million of that to buy a business, you know, yeah. how does that even happen? Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of buyers or potential buyers aren't aware of that. So I love the fact you're bringing it up. Uh, a lot of them just don't know they can do this. And I'm going to give you the layman's version of it. Okay. Please. Cause we, we work with partners who do it. All right. But essentially what they do is you, you take that 401k, you take that, that um, what they're invested in today and they're instead gonna invest that money in the stock of the new company they're buying. So whatever's in your, in your mix right now, you pull that money out and you're gonna direct that towards an investment in the stock of the company you're buying. The, um, there are companies like Benetrends um, that, that are our partners that put these plans together. Mm -hmm. And they, Benetrends is actually the founder of this program and, and can help a buyer navigate to make sure it's, it's proper under IRS statute and help with conversations with their accountants or their plan provider. Um, these plan providers aren't all, these administrators aren't all created the same. So I just encourage anybody considering this to make sure they're dealing with, with somebody who's done this for a while and really knows how to make sure you're getting that money out tax-free. That's mm -hmm. the benefit, right? So rather than exiting your plan and taking the tax hit, you can put the entire amount uh, without a tax hit into, the, into an acquisition. So, right. And, and not going into all the specifics. I know you have to watch what you say. Yeah. Um, not me as much. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, that you take that money out, let's say, because you can call your IRA or 401k company, well, IRA or 401k, if you have control, you make a phone call and you say, listen, I want you to wire $250,000 into my account. And they'll yeah. do it. I mean, be, you know, no taxes held, nothing. They'll, they'll do it. Now you have to obviously report that if, if, you're taking the money out, but yeah. so you can get the money sent into your account directly. And then that money has to go into some kind of structure is what I understand. Yeah. Some kind of corporate structure. Let's say it's ABC main street co and yeah. that money goes right into ABC main street co and ABC main street co 
is going to buy shares in this company, I guess, that you're buying. You know, yep. uh, so the ABC Main Street co-owns the shares of the company that you're buying, and that's kind of how it all works. We're not going into all the mechanics. Yeah, but you're right. right, but think of it this way. Rather than your 401k owning you know, Microsoft, right, right, it's going to own shares in a company you just bought, and you get to avoid that layer of tax in that case. And as I understand it, in most cases, they create a C-corp for that reason. That's part, part of the requirement. Mm-hmm. And they do charge an administrative fee for that every year to keep that plan in compliance and all that. You mean but better trends? Yeah, Benetrends does. Oh, I think all of them do. Oh, okay. The, the company that does that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They charge they charge a fee for that. To, you know, make sure your your annual filings are in, and that it's they set they actually will help you set up that new entity for making the acquisition to make sure you're in compliance. So before anybody moved anything out of their funds, I was just talking to a company like Benetrends and say, all right, what does a plan look like? What do you do for me to make sure I'm in compliance? And I think Benetrends still does this. They actually provide a guarantee on theirs that if you ever get a letter from the IRS that they provide their attorney to, to help with that conversation to show that you're in compliance, right? Cause you don't want to take that tax hit, obviously. But of course that's the whole, yeah. Whole point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, hit you with 10% penalty and your tax bracket on top, you know, whatever that is. Um, yeah. I will mention this too. They, they recently rolled out another plan that has some advantages when you exit your company. So, you know, all these buyers are someday going to be sellers too. Mm-hmm. Right. So when they go to sell, um, one of the biggest things that problems they have is, you know, up to 30% or more of that purchase price might have to be paid to the IRS. So you take a big hit on that sale price. Uh, Benetrends in- introduced some programs that mitigate some of that tax as well mm-hmm. by setting up plans that allow that to channel through those 401k programs and avoid some tax. So I'd also encourage anybody out there thinking about that to ask about that plan as well. Um, because it, you might be able to avoid a 20 to 30% tax hit when you exit your company 10 years from now. Wow. Not a, not a good point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, staying on the, on the financing track. Um, I think that's valuable that people like to know about that. I've seen across my feed, I get emails, I get direct mail about um, these people throwing on these seminars and workshops about buy a business with no money down and you know all these kind of things and, and it's a, basically selling, selling you a training class right or some software or some CD you know video things to teach you how to do this but um, I guess my question to you obviously you're in you're doing this day to day you know how real is it to be able to buy a business with you know 10% down on a purchase price. I mean, clearly anybody who's reasonable will say, I don't have to come up with some cash to do yeah. this. Okay. I'm not going to walk into a business and get hundred percent financing and, you know, not be, have some skin in the game. So how, how realistic is that somebody can come in and say, okay, I see a half million dollar business. I'm, I'm going to put 50 K down and 90% is coming from somewhere else. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know how that is, but how is that possible? Yeah, it's doable. Um, from a standpoint of only having 10% come from the buyer mm-hmm. it is it's not doable though. If you're saying that that's all that the seller is going to get. Okay. So using that example I talked about earlier, let's um, I'll, I'll use your $500,000 example. The, it is possible with an SBA loan that a buyer could, could uh, pursue a purchase price and close on a purchase price of 500,000 and only spend 50 or $60,000 of their own money. And, 
if, if they have a good credit score, transferable experience, the SBA will sometimes let them in for as low as 10% down, okay? And in that case, there might be another 10% coming from the seller in that seller finance we talked about, or 20%, let's say. But if the business cash flows nicely, and uh, the bank looks at the, uh, what they call their debt service coverage ratios, they'll let that happen. Mm-hmm. So as low as, I think 10% is the lowest they'll go. Um, and, and again, if you're a good, if you have a good credit score and transferable experience, and it's a good business, yeah, you can get in for as low as 10. So, and then, so the, the SBA only goes up to 80, is that it? Well, they, they will do 90, they will do 90%, okay? okay. The, the only reason I always talk about the seller financing is it's very common for it to come up. Um, but we've done many all cash deals where a buyer brings in 10%, the bank does 90% and the seller gets cashed out. But most buyers ask for it and you have a better chance as a buyer and seller of the deal getting through underwriting if there's a little bit of seller financing. And, and seller financing just solves a lot of problems, right? So. If a buyer's worried about a certain contract they're assuming or a piece of equipment, or will the seller answer the phone after close to help them with issues? Mm. If they know the seller has a little bit of skin in the game, yeah. right, they just feel a lot better about that. And the bank feels a lot better. So even if the buyer and the bank love it and would cash it out, buyers yeah. still have a little bit of seller financing. Well, that's good. Um, that, that's good. Um, and obviously, uh, many business owners um, don't realize what their business is worth, right? So, uh, in order to get financing, you have to have. If you're selling it, you have to have, a, you have some kind of sense of business value, so you yeah. can put a price on this thing, right? Um, and for people who are listening, at least for what I understand, is when you're look at the profit of your company, and you use the example of, let's say, if you're making half a million dollars in profit every year in the business after everything's been paid, uh, you multiply that times a multiple, you know, meaning yeah. like three times earnings, which is the 500. So that yep. business is worth 1.5, right? And right, certain industry verticals may go for eight times earnings, nine times earnings, depending upon what it is. But right. typically three to five is the number I'm always hearing typically in service businesses and things yeah. like that. So that said, um, in order to come to a price, you have to have a business valuation. Yeah. What is the business worth? And there are people like you who are trained to do this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so you're touching on the number one question we get, which is what is my business worth, yeah. right? So we're, we, you know, over the last 20 years, I, I think that's the question I've heard the most from, from a business owner and our brokers and M&A advisors here, because you really got to stare before a seller can make a decision. So we offer a complimentary value range at Sunbelt and we'll sit down with an owner, usually look at three years of financials and we'll figure out what it really makes, not what their tax return says, right? Because they're all filing their taxes to mitigate taxes. That's their accountant's job. Like what's every legal path I can take to write something off? Well, if you hand last year's tax return to a buyer, good luck, right? Because it doesn't tell the story. Right. It doesn't talk about, you know, the three vehicles are run through it and, uh, and you know, the sports ticket, you know, the baseball tickets and the trips or whatever has been run through it mm-hmm. for your 401k contributions, your salary, all that. It's just going to show probably a fairly modest net income number. So the first thing we do with the owner is say, look, what, what are all the ways you pull money out of the company? 
well, I pull 50,000 out here and it pays me 100,000 here and pays for my vehicles and I contribute, I bought some stock over here, whatever it is. And that's that discretionary earnings number we talked about. Sometimes you'll hear it called EBITDA, but the fact is you gotta get that discretionary stuff in there too, right? Mm -hmm. That's our earning power, like you referred to with the 500,000. Then we look at the industry comps. Um, we, we get into some of our proprietary databases and go in there and say, all right, we're looking at a contract manufacturing company. It's in uh, you know CNC metal manufacturing. Let's look at the last 10 transactions we did and look at some of the third-party databases. What are they going for? And then does this company deserve a premium for that because they have some great value drivers? Or maybe that should be discounted because maybe they, they just lost a customer and it's real owner-centric and their financial trends are down. Then we might say maybe the price has to be lowered a little bit. right? So it's kind of a quality factor in there too. Mm-hmm. Like two, in your example of 500,000, two companies that are in the exact same industry that both make 500,000 might sell for vastly different multiples based on how well run they are and uh, how, how quality they are uh, in the way they run their business. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, you know, I get it. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, uh, it, uh, it makes sense. And um, I guess from a valuation perspective that if you're a business owner and you're running, like you say, all these expenses through the company, you know, because you're trying to mitigate your taxes, uh, yeah. reduce taxes, um, all that money, cars, phones, you know, 401k contributions of all the travel, all that gets put back in. You're spending 50 grand a year on all that gets put back into the business as cash, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that goes back to your bottom line, raises the valuation of your company because when they buy it, that stuff's not going to be there because you ain't getting that. <laughs> so, right. you know, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, the buyer's not going to keep paying for your car for you. Right, right? exactly. <laughs> it's a non-operating expense going, the business doesn't need it. The test is this, does the business need it to create revenue? Right. Does it need it to operate? If it's a non-operating expense, it's just at, at the kind of the discretion of the owner. Right. For the owner's benefit, add it back in almost every case. Exactly. So we add back that money and that goes to the value of the company. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, the other um, uh, issue um, that caught my attention was uh, what businesses now, um, we're having this discussion um, in you know, June of 2020. And yeah. what's going on with the pandemic across the country and the world? Yeah. Uh, what businesses are and may, and may and it may be beyond this as well. Even when we get out of it, what businesses right now are 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 good uh, mm-hmm. to buy? Ones that could be in distress just because of the market of yep. what's happening. But once the market shakes out, they'll be back to normal. So where do you see opportunity? Um, when you see all this data coming across your feed, I'm sure you have, you see a lot of data that I don't, uh, and, and a lot of people that are watching this and going to be hearing it don't see this data. I see trends across the country in different areas, um, but I'd love to hear what you see uh, in opportunities. Yeah. And that's and that's a burning question right now, right? And it changes daily, and it changes by geography and what certain you know mayors or governors are doing, and you know what our elected leaders are doing. Um, and there's an article, um, if you don't mind me mentioning our website. Uh, oh, no, go ahead. We have a blog post on there, sunbeltmidwest.com. And the blog post is uh, cor- called Corona Sensitivity. And it talks about this, this issue. 
And the concept's basically this, the more Corona sensitive you are, and it's kind of a duh, but the more Corona sensitive you are, right? The more impact it's gonna have on the sellability of your company and its potential value. And I'll give you an example. We have a food manufacturer right now and food manufacturers in general are doing very well, okay? This particular food manufacturer has a big client mix of restaurants, mostly in the Midwest, okay? And their clients are shut down. And these are, these are uh, fresh goods that they're supplying, right? Not like canned goods. So they're a food manufacturer of fresh goods to restaurants, right? So effectively, their spigot turned off. Now, that's been the case for them for three months. Restaurants are starting to open back up here. Mm-hmm. In another month, they believe they'll be back up to their pre-COVID levels. So mm-hmm. there's that reality. And then you say, okay, well, we're in a post-COVID world, but what if they decide, what if uh, you know, the powers of B say, well, we're going to shut down again? How do you account for that risk? So business prices are heavily impacted by risk. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. The more risk you have in your business, as that risk goes up, your price comes down. Vice versa, the more growth opportunity you have in your business to grow, and if, if you're enjoying strong growth, your price comes up with that. So risk drives price down, growth trends or growth opportunities that, can, that are being realized, right? Not like high in the sky, right? But are being realized will drive price up. So what we're seeing is very Corona-sensitive businesses like travel, hospitality, you know, all the stuff you would expect, restaurants and bars, um, are not only being impacted on their price, but many just can't be sold right now. There's just too, too much uncertainty until they open back up. And an example of that would be another deal we have right now. We delayed the closing two months. Um, it was childcare related. And they said they were closed down. The owner actually didn't have to, but they decided to. So the deal was the buyer said, look, when you get back to normal, I'll close, right? And they didn't discount the price because they don't expect it to happen again, okay? Mm. Now, outside of, outside of Corona sensitivity and COVID shutdown issues, usually the companies that are, are uh, the most popular are uh, B2B, um, e-commerce, uh, IT, managed IT services, uh, trucking, manufacturing, distribution, B2B services, you know, the, the, those, those folks drive, get the highest multiple, okay? Retail, uh, food, and business to consumer um, often have, um, unless it's a manufacturer of a consumer good, but if it's like a retail-based uh, front and it's not e-com, usually get lower multiples. They might get two to three multiples for those kind of companies. Whereas manufacturing regularly gets like a five X multiple. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So Corona sensitivity, I guess a COVID sensitivity, all those industries that were impacted by um, the coronavirus, I guess, um, take uh, taxi companies, for example, you know, yeah. people weren't going anywhere. <laughs> They're sitting on vehicles, right? right. Uh, Avis. Uh, I don't know if you heard something about Hertz uh, was having some serious problems that they're probably not going to go bankrupt, but, you know, they are, you know, they, they got some serious issues with those cars. They, they have all those payments, uh, you know, and the cars are not going out because nobody's flying. So, um, yeah. think about like, I'm sorry, I sound, it sounds like cars, those yeah. cars are going to show up on the auction block that's going to show up 
in retail car dealerships. So sounds like maybe some opportunities in the car business on yeah. the low, because they, they, Hertz got to get rid of inventory. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, it, and what that illustrates is it ripples throughout the economy, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. when, when Hertz has these issues or the airlines have issues or whoever has issues in these industries, who is, who's in their supply chain, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a question we're asking all of our, our sell side uh, clients right now is, like this food manufacturer, if you serve the restaurant industry or you serve the travel industry or you serve the car rental industry, which is in the travel industry, you have that risk too. So if I was a buyer or seller listening to this right now, if I was a seller, I'd say, how diversified is my customer base? Am I in high risk categories? If so, what am I going to do about it? Because, you know, it's just like if you Walmart's your only customer, right? Well, that's, that's great while well, times are good, but if they turn it off, do you have a business left? Well, it's the same thing here. If you're in an industry that is Corona sensitive and the government shuts it down, you know, life is going to be rough. Right, right, I know, absolutely. Make your business maybe unsellable, you know? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I, um, I agree with the, um, the assessment here that saw opportunities in Corona sensitive businesses, the COVID sensitive businesses. The question is, is that can you take that leap, buy one that's really struggling on the cheap, if, if, if at all possible, then you got to be able to bite the bullet while it's getting ready to come out whenever that is. And that's the risk. Yeah. Um, yeah, can you, can you, uh, buy, let's say, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a motel, you know, yeah. a, a motel, you know, with 50 rooms, um, and that's hurting because they don't have customers because nobody's coming, but yeah. can you co cover the mortgage and that mm -hmm. business while you're waiting <laughs> for it to come back up? Yeah. So I'm looking across our parking lot right yep. now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking at a Delta Marriott that I know they put 14 million in recently to renovate. Mm -hmm. And there's not a single car in the parking lot because the whole place and the, and the restaurant are, are shut down. Okay. It's a great place. I mean, people want to go there, mm -hmm. but shut down. Now, um, I'm pretty sure it's an individual owner flying the Marriott flag over there. So and if, you know, if they don't have the money to tough it out, my guess is they'll have to sell it right mm -hmm. to somebody who specializes in turnarounds and buying distressed, distressed assets. So both, um, both small investors and big investors can benefit from that. Yeah. But then you got to get back to, okay, what, it, how much cash am I going to have to burn to wait it out? What is the plan? You know, can I return it to normal? Right. And again, we don't take a lot of those to market. Um, yeah. we have several asset sales right now we're representing, but we don't go pursue them because they, they just are harder. You know, a good cash flowing business priced reasonably, we're going to sell it because our database of buyers is so big after 20 years and our ability to reach them. Mm -hmm. Distressed, you gotta find kind of a, what I like to call a cowboy or a cowgirl, right. you know? Somebody who's very entrepreneurial and is like, all right, I've got, some, I've got some capital, I can fix this thing, and it doesn't intimidate me to go do it. I got the time to do it, or I have the experience to do it, and uh, yeah, we can, we can get this thing back and they can get, you know, a very nice price for it. That, that, that's great. Um, so uh, when you're not, um, you know, being a master king deal maker here, you know, you know, making the buyer and seller come along and let's, let's, let's yeah. make this deal happen. Uh, yeah. What are you doing uh, for fun 
that takes your, you know, in your mind away from you know, working the hours that you work, whatever that is. And what do you do for fun? Yeah. I mean, it is, um, it's a stressful job. So you got to find ways to, you know, like getting any, any business job. I mean, it, it is kind of like, a roll, you know, you got several roller coaster rides going on every day because yeah. he's complex. Um, I spend a lot of my time with our brokers, helping them with deals. Um, I don't do as much deal making as I used to because we've got 30 plus brokers here. So my, my door is pretty busy with people coming in saying, Hey, I got this issue or that issue on a deal. But when I'm not doing that, uh, I like to mountain bike. I like to hike, like travel, um, got out to Ireland and Alaska and Mexico last year. Oh, so the shutdown happened. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love yeah. Traveling when you can, when they allow you. Right, right. Okay, well, that's good. So that's uh, something you like to do and travel and, and ride, ride a bike and so it's yeah. sort of liberating about riding a bike, you know, and just um, the air in your face and just yeah. your thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, so do you ride with music or you ride no music? That's a good question. So um, I mostly mountain bike now. So um, and like I used to ski when I was younger and in better shape, but the mountain biking I do, you know, you got a lot of twist in the trail, right? So I do like music, but what I, what I, when I ride, but what I really like about it is it really allows you to kind of uh, tune out work because you have to pay attention. Otherwise you're going to kiss a tree, right? So, you know, you really, it, it, it takes your entire attention to deal with it, you know, to, to make those turns and come up with the berms and stuff like that. So to me, it's kind of like a meditation, you know, it's a good workout, but also, you know, I can't think about work while I'm doing it. So that's nice. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's like um, you're driving a standard and you can't text or you can't talk yeah. on the phone if you don't have an earpiece because you're, you're, <laughs> right. you're doing right. all this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's right. gross. You have to use all your attention span to deal with it. That's right. That's right. So uh, you, you drink coffee, hot or cold? Uh, wherever I can get it. As long as it has caffeine, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, uh, coffee, hot coffee, Red Bulls, anything with caffeine in it. Uh, 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 a hot dog with ketchup or mustard? Ooh, mm, you know, that's a charged question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, um, I, it, it, I will do it with both sometimes. I will admit I will do it with both. Most of the time just mustard or a coney okay. with everything on it, you know. You get some of that chili on top, onions, peppers, you know, load her up. I gotcha. Uh, a hamburger um, with, with ketchup or, or mayo? Uh, boy, it's going to have ketchup, mayo, mustard, lots of pickles, and a lot of other stuff on it. Yeah, like, throw all those flavors in together oh. and get all that going, okay? I got gotcha. yeah. <laughs> Good Absolutely. for you. Uh, when you're, um, when, um, when, pre-COVID, when everything yeah. was somewhat normal. Were you watching, uh, are you a uh, uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime person, or did you like to go to the theater and see the actual movies? I love to go to the theater with my daughter. She's, she loves the theater. Uh, she's grown now, but that's kind of our thing. Um, so if there's a good movie out, you know, with good special effects where the theater really pays off, okay, uh, we do that, you know, so I like that. Other than that, um, yeah, I enjoy... Uh, uh, watching Yellowstone right now on, on streaming, and I don't know if you watched that show, but I have. I really, started really the second season. I think just started, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah well, the first the whole second season's out there. It right is now. okay. 
but that is that is excellent. Yeah, yeah it makes you want to buy a ranch in Montana, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, at first, but then after watching it for a few episodes, it seems like the most dangerous thing in the world to do. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. It's not. It's not a. It's not really. It's not a. It's more city life down there. If you think about it, um, yeah, country. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, um, Apple or Android? Android, much to my daughter's chagrin. Yeah. She's iPhone, Apple. <laughs> all three of my kids make fun of me because I have an Android and they all have iPhones. So. Yeah, smarter people do Android. That's all I gotta say. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I do Android. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you wear do you wear a, a a wristwatch or you just use your phone for a watch? There right you there. Go. Wow, yep. you you you, you are, you are uh, one of the rare. Uh, there's a lot of men uh, who do wear watches, but a lot of them are not wearing them because they have their phones. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I just, uh, I just I like to have it. I'm just used to looking at the time that way. And I also, if you're in a meeting, it yeah. is very hard to um, politely check the time. On your phone, in my experience, it's a little yeah. easier to watch. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got. I can be a little bit more, more uh, indiscreet, discreet by you know by kind of glancing versus looking at your phone, you know, right. which is obvious. Uh, yeah. So the um, and if you had any place to go, ability to go anywhere across the world, do anything, money and time is not a problem, not an issue. Where would you go? And this is just for travel, like what my next trip would be, or yeah, where, where would you go anywhere? Yeah. Oh boy, that's 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 a big one because I've been thinking about that. Um, I think right now it would probably be Australia. Australia would be the next one, or the Mediterranean. One of those two. Okay. Both are at the top of my list for travel right now. And uh, and uh, last question to round this out: If you had one superpower. Um, that you were given, mm. what would that superpower be? You gotta go with flight, don't you? I mean, you gotta go. You wanna be able to fly? Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, people dream about that, right? That's, I'm gonna start with that. <laughs> and I feel like I could turn it into a business somehow, right? I mean, I <laughs> advertise on the Cape, I don't know. You know, yeah, you could yeah. do that. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Um, uh, share your website uh, once again, uh, Chris. Uh, with yeah, this. oh, thank you. Sunbeltmidwest.com. Yeah, and there's lots of great blog posts on there if anybody's looking to get educated on seller and buyer uh, content. A lot of good stuff. Absolutely. Uh, we've been talking to uh, the Chris Jones today, the president of Sunbelt Business Advisors out of the Twin Cities of uh, Minnesota, talking about um, buying businesses, selling businesses, uh, evaluating businesses, financing uh, the acquisition of businesses, using your 401k IRA uh, to, to fund the business if you didn't know about that, and uh, what opportunities are in the marketplace uh, right now. It's called COVID-sensitive businesses where you may be able to take advantage of an opportunity and buy uh, a company that's out there right now um, if, if maybe at a good price. So uh, we thank you for, uh, for listening and watching. We thank you, Chris, for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge with everyone. And uh, I love the conversation. You're doing some very interesting things. It's an interesting business. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for having me, Gil. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All the best to you and go out there and make it happen, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. Good one. All right.